The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... Let me explain what we do here at Song Confessional. So we collect anonymous stories. Well, people tell us these stories and and their identity is anonymous, right? So we travel all over the country. We go to music festivals. We go to state fairs. We've even gone to uh, conferences of event marketers. Um, And people tell us stories. We've got two permanent booths, one here in Austin and one in Colorado at the Mishawaka Amphitheater. And basically, we gather all these anonymous stories, we choose our favorite ones, and we give them to songwriters and bands who turn them into new original songs. On this podcast, you're going to hear that anonymous confession, you're going to hear the song and inspired, and then an interview with the songwriters. I'm sitting here with my favorite little pickup line. Tell them your name. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Catanzaro. And Zach, uh, who is our band today? We've got the Austin-based quartet Leyline. Yeah, Leyline, way back in... uh, uh, what did you call it? Hot Vac Summer? Hot Vac Summer. It was it was a good time. Everything was so bright. And I, I guess we're, we're coming up on it again, it feels like. This winter was not bad. So here we are, 2023. Things are feeling normal. Hot Vax year. So back in summer 2021, uh, Leyline did our, our artist in residence program at Hotel Magdalena. And uh, we were literally just getting going. So we gave them a confession to make a song out of. And this confession, man, I mean, it was a doozy. It, it was a doozy. It's, um, I mean, we've, we've had that before. We've said that before, but this one's right up there with, with some of the, uh, the most emotional it's without giving anything away. It's just like, it's almost four stories in one. It's, it's, it's more of an epic. This is, this is an odyssey. You know, before we uh, get into the confession, Zach, how did you first hear about Leyline? So they first came to my attention um, actually because one of the members is neighbors with a good friend of mine. And they're like, hey, have you heard about this band Leyline? And I hadn't. So I went and checked out a show with them. And it was fascinating. There were these uh, four women with these incredible harmonies and interesting rhythms that were very global, pulled from all over the place. And I was especially particularly interested in one of them playing uh, this drum that I hadn't really seen before, a Senegalese Tama. Um, and I ended up introducing myself. That's that's Lydia, Lydia Fransik. Her sister Maddie's in the band, um, as well as Emily Bassez and Kate Robertson. And I've just kind of been friends and they've been in our circle ever since. Yeah. You know, there are very few bands these days um, in, in Austin, but seriously, anywhere that you could use the term world music. And it's and you one, have to. And it's accurate. And like, I mean it only as a compliment. They combined like all sorts of styles they literally sing in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very cool what the four of them are able to create with each other. When they did this, when they did the artist in residence program, uh, they were in the middle of touring a bunch, and it doesn't surprise me at all that there is a huge audience for what they do because their music is so unique. Yeah, it's, it is extremely unique, and it is it is global in a very authentic way. Like you're saying, they're really pulling from personal experiences. They've all lived in different places at different times. They've done a lot of traveling together as a group and shared those experiences, making music in other places. 
Um, and they really, they really are an interesting bunch. There isn't many, you know, bands out there like them. And then band almost sounds like the wrong descri- description of this group. There's so much more than just a band. The you'll, you'll hear in their interview, um, kind of how their history traveling with each other, uh, in Brazil, help them connect with our confessor who also spent a little time in Brazil. Honestly, uh, this confession, um, that we gave them options of which one to make into a song. I was shocked that they chose this one only because the audio quality was so poor and it was so long. But as they tell you, they were very inspired by it and connected to it on multiple levels. Yeah, the the original confession was almost an hour long, something like that, or even more, maybe. You know, it, it was it was it was a little over, a little under forty minutes, okay. but. Because of the poor audio quality, it felt yeah. incredibly long. So it was originally taken in one of the early confessions taken uh, at, at the booth at Hotel Magdalena. And there's at the time there was a speaker just blasting music. Yeah, it was, was too loud. Like, it was just too loud. So um, Walker actually uh, hunted this confessor down and and sat down and kind of did a, a more traditional confession with him and asked him to kind of repeat the story. So that's actually what you guys are going to hear because it, you you wouldn't have wanted to listen to the first one. It was it was tough. Before we dive into this confession, I do want to give a uh, minor trigger warning and say that in addition to dealing with uh, romantic love, this does deal with uh, mental illness and you know, mental, I would say mental wellness as well. So if that's, you're maybe having a bad day or feeling a little edgy like that, this might not be the confession for you. Um, you can just fast forward about 20 minutes and listen to this incredible song. Confession. From the beginning is that um, I was living in Austin and I moved to Austin uh, for graduate school and I was married at the time and it didn't end up working out. Um, I moved away, like after we like got separated and I moved to Brazil for the summer. Um, and then when I was in Brazil, uh, got an email from my ex-wife saying that she'd started divorce proceedings. Um, and so, uh, we ended up not being married anymore and I came back to Austin and uh met my now wife um and on okcupid uh and i used a pickup line that was all the rage of a bunch of my friends which was hey do you want to like get married or whatever and her response was i don't know about married but whatever sounds cool Mm -hmm. um so we started dating uh, in Austin, I was finishing grad school. I finished and then we went and moved together to upstate New York. We moved, uh, for me to do a PhD program. Um, I ended up having like kind of a meltdown and we broke up. How long had you been together when you moved to, uh, upstate New York? Um, let's see. It had been just about, it had been just about two years. We moved there right around our two year anniversary. Um, and then it was about six months later that, um, we broke up. Um, and I, uh, 
and regretted it pretty quickly. Um, I mean, I was having, like at the time I was having a manic episode and not doing well and went and lived in a van for a few months and then came back to Austin and tried to fix things and that didn't work for her. Um, and so I just stayed in Austin and she started dating someone else and I just kind of puttered around in Austin and kind of in unrequited love of wishing that I hadn't fucked everything up. Is swearing okay? I don't know if that's Oh, right. yeah, you, you, you can, can swear all you want. But can I ask you a question, though? Just a clarifying sure. question. So, so you, so basically, you know, you're having a manic episode and you're living in a van and you, and she moves back to Austin and you eventually end up back in Austin. And like, what's, what's the time lapse on this? So you move. So it was about two months. So I left, I left in February. I left Ithaca in February and I came back to Austin in April. Okay. Um, after having, uh, fallen asleep at the wheel of a U-Haul and driven off an embankment and being rescued, I was rescued by a good Samaritan and yeah. then, uh, ended up in a coma for four days and woke up in the hospital in the ICU four days after that. And Holy hell. Wow. Uh, the next day called her from the, the psych unit and, uh, had kind of a, epiphany of like what have i done i've destroyed my entire life for god knows what mm -hmm. um but at that point i mean it had been I'd, I'd burned enough bridges to where you know she wasn't ready to to take me back yeah um so yeah so i came back to austin and kind of put the pieces back together of my life and then after a couple more years like kind of had resigned myself to like, okay, I'm just going to have like an unrequited crush on this person maybe for the rest of my life. Um, and, uh, left cause part of coming back to Austin was like the hope that we would get back together. Um, but, uh, that, that didn't seem to be the case. And so after three more years, almost four more years in Austin. Uh, I moved out to Marfa and, um, was living out here. And then another two years passed, I guess, let's see here. Let's put the math. So I moved out here in 2018. The, the, we broke up in 2015. I moved here in 2018. Um, and then I was, here in Marfa and uh, playing chess with a good friend of mine who was visiting. We were working on a trailer together that we bought and uh, my phone rang, like my cell phone rang and it was uh, my now wife calling and I was like, oh, that's probably like a pocket dial or something like that's so, nothing. And so in this kind of like four to six year period, like are you having contact with each other? Like, obviously you still have her numbers saved. Like, are you talking at all? Yeah. What kind of okay. Okay. So you are cordial so we, at least with each other. So yeah, we're like, we're like friends and we, like when I was in Austin, we would like meet up 
for dinner or drinks or something like maybe once or twice a year. And it had been like, when I came back, um, to Austin, like I was really like gunning for like, okay, like I have to like, if I get my shit together enough, like it'll be like, maybe then I'll have a chance again. And yeah. like, so, but after about six months, we went out one night and she was like, it's just, it's not happening. Like it's over. Uh, I'm with someone else now. Okay. Um, and so, but we would, you know, we would still be in contact. We would, you know, share, she would share things with me, like send songs of artists that we liked or like, talk about you know it's that that feeling of like you know it's somebody that like you have history with and like was always kind of unfinished business that like at the end of the day like both of us knew that there was always like it was always just going to be like this thing had ended like on terms that like really didn't make sense and then like the the situation of just like reality had like set in and it was like okay, I guess this is just going to always be kind of like unfinished business for both of us. Yeah. Um, but you know, like sometimes we would talk, like I, uh, sass her because, um, you know, she like messaged me one year on Valentine's day to like, tell me that she was having problems with her then partner. And I was like, is this, is this a sign? Um, but in general, it was just, you know, like I, I had kind of given, I'd given up on the idea that like we were going to, you know, that it was ever going to like work out again. Um, but like was also in my heart, like, you know, you were, getting drunk and telling my friends, like, I'm still in love with this person. You were, you were holding a little bit of space from it, but not, you were also living your life is what you're saying. Like, yeah, exactly. And so you're in Marfa and you get this you see that she's calling you this is now six six years after the the break and and you see that yeah, she's calling you and you're like what the fuck you're calling me so when she had texted me on valentine's day and like told me that she was having problems with her her now ex um i had taken that as like okay like i'm gonna shoot my shot again like this is you know like i'm still I'm still in love and I'm just going to like try it. And so I called her and talked to her and this was actually right before I moved to Marfa and was like, Hey, um, it sounds like you're not in the place that you want to be. And like, this isn't like the kind of thing that you're like, you're not happy with this person. You're like, obviously texting me on Valentine's day about problems for a reason. And, um, I'm actually moving to Marfa in like another week or two. And that's always been like her. That was, that had always been like, she was who showed me Marfa for the first time. Like I always hated Texas and like coming out here was the first time that I like felt any kind of like real ability to stay here. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I said like, all right, like, do you want, like, do you want to try it again? Like, it doesn't have to like, we don't have to be like, I don't know. It just like, seems like you're not happy. And like, I obviously like want something that maybe you don't want, but like, I'm about to move to West Texas. And, um, do you want to go with me? Uh, and she said, yeah. I, that's a lot. I'll call you back. 
Um, and we did not talk on the phone again for another four years. Damn. Um, and so that was, that was kind of the last, like I had, so that had happened. And then like, I don't know, I'd moved out here and like probably six or eight months had gone by and I had texted her and been like, Hey, like I probably overstepped and like, I'm sorry, but like, I hope we can still be cordial and friends. Like, it's fine. Like we've obviously like, you've obviously both like we, we've both like moved on with our lives in quotes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then it went back to like, you know, sending random Instagram DMS or texts or whatever on occasion. Um, and yeah, so like, but between in that intervening time, like really, um, we hadn't seen each other until, uh, 2020, um, which was in 2020, you know, COVID started and, uh, her mom was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And, um, she texted me about that because I knew her mom pretty well and to tell me, and I was like, Oh, like, just so you know, like anytime, if you need a getaway or something, like you're always welcome to come out here. Like I have friends who have land out in the desert and like, you can go and stay there and stuff and what, you know, whatever, it, mm -hmm. if that's helpful, like, you know, whatever helps. And, yeah. um, so she, a few months later, uh, just all through text, like organized, like her coming out to stay on my friend's land. And I was like, okay, cool. And, um, but still was holding out hope. And, uh, the day before she was supposed to come out, she was like, Hey, I think like, maybe I like, wasn't clear that actually my boyfriend is coming with me. It's like, Oh yeah, you were not clear about that. Um, but they, they came out and stayed on my friend's land and it was like, you know, good for her to be able to get away from, uh, you know, both with COVID and with like dealing with her mom's cancer and stuff and, and stayed down there. And, um, you know, I was just kind of like, all right, like, this is like, I'm not trying not to be like unrealistic about the things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then another year goes by that was, or, yeah. Yeah. It was like just about a year between when that happened. And then, yeah, I'm playing with playing chess with my friend who's visiting and get this call to my cell phone and was like, Oh, it's just like a butt dial or whatever, like probably an accident. Like we texted the previous week about the Olivia Rodrigo album actually. Yeah. Um, and then my landline phone rings and it was her, and, um, so we just started, you know, we just started talking and it was like, the time hadn't passed and especially like that it had just been, you know, it was like this really surreal experience that we were just like talking and we ended up talking for like four hours and it was like a Wednesday night probably. Mm -hmm. And toward the end of the conversation, she was like, so like, what are you doing this weekend or like what was, you know, like invited me to come and like see her in Houston. And, and I was like, well, you know, like I'm coming down in like a couple weeks. Like she was living in Houston at the time she'd moved down there. Her mom had passed away and she'd moved down there to deal with her mom's estate and stuff. And, um, I was like, you know, I'm coming down that way in a couple of weeks. Like let's meet up. 
And, and she was like, Oh, actually like I'm, I was hoping you would come like this weekend. And I was like, it's Wednesday. Yeah, sure. I can make that work. So I got up and that's, then at this point it was like 11 PM. Um, and so I got up the next morning at like 8 AM and drove and had to fix my air conditioner in the parking lot of the O'Reilly auto parts in Alpine on the way, because I was not going to drive to Houston in June without air conditioning. Um, and drove all the way across Texas to go meet up with her. Also not knowing if like, I was just being like a sap, like, Oh, we're just friends. And like her boyfriend is still going to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, or not, but got yeah. there and, um, he wasn't there, which was a blessing. Uh, um, and we went back to her childhood home, which was like where she was staying. She was like, like I said, she was dealing with her mom's estate and like, you know, packing up all of her childhood bedroom and stuff. And, um, we, you know, had a few glasses of wine and we're talking and, um, and I was finally like, look, like I'm here. I just drove across the entire state, like on 24 hours notice to see you. Like it's been six years. Like, honestly, like I, I would wait 60 years. Like, I don't know what we're doing if we're not doing this. Um, and she was like, that's, the way I feel too. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. That's not being with you. Um, and two weeks later we got married. Holy shit. Uh, uh, can I ask a couple follow-up questions? Sure. So, so, okay. Uh, I mean, that is amazing, but in those two weeks from reconciling to getting married, she ditched the guy, obviously. Yeah. Gone. Uh, and did you, did, what, 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 did you go back to Marfa in those two weeks? Did you go to, what, where, where, where did the next two weeks take place? So the next week, so yeah, so the next week I went to a wedding, uh, and, was just, you know, incapable of like, obviously not capable of just like not talking about this with people, even though we were like trying to keep it quiet until she had <laughs> formally ditched the guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that week went by and then, uh, another week I came out to Houston. Like I, so I went to New Mexico and then I came back to Marfa and then came back to Austin to meet up with her. And, um, kind of had to be the, the like telenovela villain, um, of like sitting outside the house that she had been living in with her ex while she was breaking up with him. So she would have a ride to go somewhere oh my uh, afterwards. So wow. we did that. And then we went to Houston together 
and um yeah and she had like already had plans to go to a friend's bachelorette party in new orleans so she did that and then came back to houston and we were in houston that was like the following so it was like two sundays later and we'd already like said we were going to get married and the dates were right and so we just went to the courthouse on tuesday and uh, got married at the courthouse damn uh that I'm the thing I'm struck by is that in that period of time you you weren't actually in the same place a lot. You were both like busy doing other things, like continuing on with your separate lives, so to speak, and then come back together and doing this powerful thing. It's like it kind of blows my mind that after like a six year break, you reunite and it's this strong that you just roll with it, you know. Like there wasn't like a reacclimating period. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny thing that, you know, like they say that, um, that being in love and being manic are basically indistinguishable from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, say more on that. Like, you know, like the idea, so, you know, the idea like kind of like impulsivity and things like that, that, you know, people generally associate with like, potentially being unwell are also like if people are in romantic love, like often manifest in the same ways. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like hard to define, like really where is the boundary between someone like being, being unwell and being like so irresponsible that they shouldn't be allowed to do that. And like, cause someone who's just like in romantic love and, um, should be allowed to do that because like, that's culturally something that we think is okay, which, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's an interesting thing. So yeah, like it was, it was the short time period and, and the thing was like feeling for both of us, I think like feeling that you, are getting what you want that you've wanted for so long it's like you know like you feel like you like won the lottery um especially with something that's like involved such a long amount of time like between actually having um contact with each other but the thing too is that like you know she like it wasn't as though we were fighting all the time and we broke up because we were fighting all the time or something like yeah the, yeah. the break would come initially like it was this really like unresolved thing because like it had come from this period of like just yeah me being really unwell um and trying to like come to it never felt like either of us had come to terms with like what it meant to have taken that as the moment to say like, okay, I guess we're not doing this anymore after it had been like two years of like, you know, domestic bliss. Yeah. I think I, you know, like with everything, uh, everything in French, the way they describe what you just described is, is softer it's like fully other so it's it's like a foolishness or a craziness of two and like that is that's what we do baby yeah that's that's being in love you know um that's crazy love i think it's just i i'm like trying to channel in myself what it would feel like to have that unrequited feeling for six whole years and then actually have it 
come to you. There must be like, what's more powerful than that, that a person can feel not on drugs. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there is, I certainly haven't in my life experienced anything like that. So, 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 so. Now here's The Call by Leyline. Thank you.
You know, one thing I can say about that song is it does capture the intensity of the confession in the tone and presentation. Like that, that feels just, just the, the sonic quality of it yeah. feels like that intense of a love. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely has that quality that like, if you were, if you were seeing an emotional scene play out in a movie, it matches flawlessly. I, I really do agree with that. They managed to capture that really well. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they discuss at the lyrics to the song and something that I think is fascinating is that they, uh, they only changed one word from the chorus line they had written before they heard the confession to match it to the story. And I find that so fascinating how, you know, one lyric can kind of mean one thing to you at one point in your life. And then at another point in your life, it can mean something totally different. Like, I don't just mean that as a songwriter. I mean that in, in life in, in general. general. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you have so many different experiences, even even your memories, you know? It's like even even a memory that meant something for a very long period of time can change. Yeah. It's just, it is interesting how we just are always evolving and reinventing what things mean to us. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a, today, as we're recording this, Burt Bacharach died yesterday, so he's been on my mind. He wrote this song called uh, Something Big. It was never a big hit for anyone, but it's like, it's a real Bacharach classic and uh, the kind of crux of the song is like, I'm, I have big dreams for myself. And uh, after my dad passed away, I had asked him to, to make all these, make a list of his favorite albums when he was sick. And he put this Burt Bacharach uh, compilation on it because his mother loved it. Hmm. Anyway, so after he passed away, I listened to this compilation and I really latched onto the song. And it was kind of um, in when I was... 20 it was like a part of my grieving you know just to sort of connect to this music absolutely and then as I got older it's interesting because I actually I still loved the song but loved it because I identified with the message of the song which is like I do want something big for myself Mm. and I listened to it this morning and it's interesting being 36 now and you know not a kid or whatever I uh I I still love the song, but all those emotional layers to it are kind of embedded in me. And I, I literally just listened to how incredible, how incredibly crafted the tune is and how they use, he uses space to get the lyric across. Like the the lyric is something big is what I'm after. Hmm. And the arrangement of the song actually gets bigger every repetition of the chorus. It's like such a small thing, but it's incredible, you know? I don't know. It's beautiful how a simple lyric can change what it means to you that way. Yeah, I think I think my version of that is that Tom Waits song, San Diego Serenade. Mm-hmm. The, the whole song is a very kind of simple formula of like, well, I never realized this until I realized this, and I never saw this until I saw this. It's always kind of like this uh, yin and yang opposites thing. Yeah. And it was one of my dad's favorite songs, and, and Tom Waits was one of his favorite artists, and I mm-hmm. think when my dad died. I went down that same road of really yeah. diving into the music that he connected to. Um, and it's interesting how my relationship with that one has changed. Cause at the time I, I was like, I was in, I was personally in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. So I was almost like looking at it, like kind of, kind of like you have to experience hurt to experience good and joy and pleasure. Mm-hmm. And now I look at it as like almost loss in life is the beautiful thing. Cause it means that you've loved, you know, it's like, yeah. if you, if you don't ever experience loss, 
then that's like kind of sad almost. You're mm-hmm. you're you're not connecting in the in the way that you could be. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, my relationship with it is just completely different when I listen to it now. Even the the meaning is still so strong. I, I think a really easy uh lyric to that kind of illustrates this point too is that Bob Dylan lyric, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. Mm. You know, I mean he 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 wrote that lyric uh when he was very young, like 22, 23. And uh, I, I think when a young person says that, it sort of becomes about um, maybe when life feels really serious and then it doesn't feel serious anymore. Like you're going through something really intense and then you no longer are, so you feel younger. And it's kind of silly when a younger person's saying it. It feels very wry, like wry sense of humor. But then when a, someone who's older is singing it, like it has the same effect, but it's somehow more about wisdom mm. in some way, mm-hmm. you know? And that's one of those lyrics that I think really um, can uh, grow with a person. It's almost like a proverb in a way. You know? So how, how did it feel actually going back and talking to this confessor after like we had, we had listened to this confession, the song had already been, been created and we had, you know, the, the discussion around the topic had happened amongst a lot of people. And then you kind of like, revisited it in a way that we don't normally do. That's not, that's not the usual process in any way. What was, what was it like kind of hearing it that second time? I mean, uh, one of the feelings was just relief that he was telling it in a similar way. Mm. Um, so that was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, I think people, we, it's impossible to tell a story the same way. And I've yeah. listened to his other version of, or I've listened to his retelling of this more times than he ever has, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I know the arc of the story in a way that I, I relate to it differently than he does. So how he's feeling every day is affecting which things he in- emphasizes and de-emphasizes. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I was noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the thing that I, feel about this this version that we we have here is that you still get this the immense power of this connection that this man and woman have it's crazy it is very intense and i'm i'm like i'm no stranger to grand romantic gestures but it definitely wasn't my story is nowhere near as drawn out as theirs and it is like to to live I mean, we're, we're talking years that go by throughout this story of just like all these different locations, all these different happenings, all these different factors, but like the whole time for that connection and feeling to be there just underlying and so consistent. It is, it is insanely powerful. And it's, uh, it, it also makes me really happy to hear, um, someone that understands their mental health struggles and is able to talk about how that relates to loving someone else. It's not like a side of the conversation you get an insight to that often um, because it's not like, it's not, I mean, loving, loving is almost can be more intense in in a lot of those moments. And it's, um, it's not everybody that can receive that kind of love. And the way the confessor, you know, describes his, his now wife is like, it's, it's amazing. I mean, she, she also went through some trauma of her own in that time that I think probably almost 
is the reason that we are where we are but it's just it truly is an incredible uh, a look into years of these two people's lives and how it evolved into you know what is now this this marriage it's just it's absolutely a fascinating story The Song Confessional theme song was written and performed by me and Zach. It features Topaz McGarrickle on sax, and it was recorded and mixed by Adam Mason. Song Confessional podcast is produced by myself, Walker Lukens, Aaron Blackerby, Ryland Kettery, James Eno, Mike Lee, and Tyler Brown. I like when you call him James. James. If you like this podcast, literally the best thing you can do is take an episode and send it to someone who you think will enjoy it. I don't even care if you like that person. You can actually send it to someone you hate. Just send it to them and be like, hey, fuck you. I think you'd like this. That would be amazing. <laughs> the second best thing you could do is follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you listen to them so you can stay up to date.